Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Good morning. We are uh, we're in week two uh, in our series in the the book of Amos, and I hope that you know as a church uh, we we value God's word and we value God's word, and so uh, we want to spend time just studying the books of the Bible. We want to be in the Old Testament and in the in the New Testament, and we want to uh, talk about the the parts that are historical narrative and the the letters, the epistles, and different parts of the Bible. And so uh, this this series that we find ourselves in is uh, is actually uh, prophecy. Uh, one of the books, uh, the Minor Prophets, and and some of you are are thinking like, yeah, I don't I don't know what that is, and so I was thinking all week, how could I uh, communicate? How could I show what what prophecy was? And I, I wanted to bring a a family video from my childhood that I think actually shows uh, what prophecy is uh, pretty well. Uh, I grew up in a family where my dad was one of the first guys to buy like the original video camera, the one that you put a giant VHS tape in and put on your shoulder and it weighed like 60 pounds. And he would, he would go to all of our church programs and t-ball games and all kinds of things. And so I want to uh, show you a, a video clip this morning. Uh, this is uh, one morning when my dad asked my younger brother and I to go up to my older brother's room and, and help wake him up. And so as, as good brothers do, we uh, proceeded to jump on his bed and jump on his head and, and just wake him up. So there's all the spiritual context you need uh, for some family prophecy here. Hey. Hope David. Hope David. <laughs> Hope David, get up now, boys. Yeah. Well, don't fall off, Dan. <laughs> hey, uh. You're awesome. That's what I. That's why I was telling you to be careful, Dan. Look out, you don't dive off the end of the bed. <laughs> now, maybe you found yourself distracted because I needed a haircut. That was giving me anxiety there. Maybe you noticed that I had see-through pajamas with some 1980s tidy whities That was not the point of that video there. Uh, the, the point was, was just what my dad said there, a little, little prophecy. He said, hey, be careful you don't fall off the bed. My little brother didn't seem to listen or care, proceeded to jump, and maybe with a little help from me, uh, shaking the bed there, fell, fell off the bed. And that might be a, a weird way to explain prophecy, but that's really uh, what prophecy is. Prophecy in, in Scripture in the Old Testament that, that we see unfolding is usually someone saying, hey, Israel, God's people, you're doing this. That's not a good idea. Hey, you're doing this. You need to be careful about this. You need to stop doing that or something's going to happen. There's going to be consequences. But usually Israel kept doing what they were doing. And so maybe if you don't know the story of the Bible, the Old Testament is the story of the nation of Israel. And God chose a man named Abraham, kind of who was Israel's forefather, uh, to be the, the man that, that all the people of earth would be blessed through. Israel had this unique calling and relationship with God. They were called to worship God and also love their neighbor. And in doing so, they would bless the world 
The book of Amos is about a prophet who shows up on the scene and was sent to tell Israel that they had failed this global calling. He was sent to tell Israel that the the world was cursed because of, of their sin and that they were going to experience the consequences of their actions. And so the Israelites started with this one man, Abraham, but eventually they became a kingdom. Eventually they, they had kings and they split even into two kingdoms in a time when they weren't really doing so great. And so the northern kingdom thought that they were awesome and they, they didn't want to have to keep the same traditions and go down to the, where the southern kingdom was and worship like they used to. And so their king said, hey, we'll just set up some shrines in our part of the kingdom and people can worship here. And that might sound okay and might, might maybe you think, oh, that would save them time and travel. But when they set up these shrines in the northern kingdom, they started to not just worship their God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, but they started to worship some of the local gods of the other people they were around and the people they were hanging out with. And over time, as they worshiped their God, capital G, and these other gods, lowercase g, it started to dilute their worship. And so as the northern kingdom worshiped these other gods of sex and war and weather, these gods that glorified gaining power at all costs, it really started to change who they were. It changed the character of the people and it shaped the character of the people and they became selfish and they became power hungry and they became abusers of the powerless. And even though this northern territory was in a time where their borders were expanding and they were thriving and their military was doing all right and their economy was doing great, life was good, they weren't doing well at all. And so as their kingdom grew, the rich, the people who were already rich got richer and the people who were powerful got more powerful. And Amos showed up to tell Israel that they had broken their covenant with God And he really highlights how their idolatry got in the way of them addressing the injustice in their culture. And so last week, uh, Trig, our pastor of Groups and Outreach, kicked off this series and kind of masterfully walked us through chapters one and two. And in, in those chapters, we saw Amos showed up and basically pointed out what was going on in the neighboring countries and how bad those things were, how people were being treated, and then said, and listen, in Israel, it's even worse. The people of God are treating people awful. They said that the people who were wealthy were ignoring the poor. The people who were, uh, they were, they were taking the poor and selling them into debt slavery. They were denying people legal representation. And so those that were in this lower class were kind of trapped in this cycle of injustice. Now, we're looking at this book and we're looking at this series knowing that we're not Israel. And so it, this, this, this passage, this book wasn't specifically written to us, but we can learn from their mistakes and their cycles and their patterns of sin because Israel was the vehicle for God's blessing to the world. And we, as the church, are God's current vehicle to share the hope of Jesus with the world. And one of the biggest ways that we do that is through justice and through righteousness. Biblical justice is rooted in the character and the nature of God. And we can see biblical justice very naturally in the way that God treats people. It's often seen as, as generosity and equality and advocacy and responsibility. And injustice is to treat people the opposite way or the way that God would not want them to be treated. And so as we're called to represent biblical justice, That's simply just the actions that correct injustice. And so there's a famous verse that we'll read over today in Amos that says, let justice flow like a river and righteousness like an unfailing stream. 
Another famous verse that we're going to address in this series talks about how we can clog the flow of God's justice and righteousness with our idolatry. And we're going, at, we're going to look at kind of how to unclog that by seeking God and seeking good in tandem. And so if you've got a, a Bible today, I'd love for you to open that. We're going to uh, turn to uh, Amos chapter 3 on page 543. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one under your chair or around you there somewhere. Again, we're going to be on page 543. And we're going to read some pretty large portions of Scripture today like we did last week because we want to get into this book, see what it has for us, and, and value it. And so I'm going to read uh, all of Amos chapter 3, page 543. You can follow along. You can circle things. You can write things down and, and think about how this applies to the same patterns that we live now in our lives. Amos chapter 3, page 543, verse 1 says this. Listen to this message that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the entire family I rescued from Egypt. From among all the families on the earth, I have been intimate with you alone. That is why I must punish you for all your sins. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Does a lion ever roar in a thicket without first finding a victim? Does a young lion growl in its den without first catching its prey? Does a bird ever get caught in a trap that has no bait? Does a trap spring shut when there's nothing to catch? When the ram's horn blows a warning, shouldn't the people be alarmed? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has planned it? Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, so who isn't frightened? The sovereign Lord has spoken. So who can refuse to proclaim his message? Announce this to the leaders of Philistia and to the great ones of Egypt. Take your seats now on the hills around Samaria and witness the chaos and oppression in Israel. My people have forgotten how to do right, says the Lord. Their fortresses are filled with wealth taken by theft and violence. Therefore, says the sovereign Lord, an enemy is coming. He will surround them and shatter their defenses. Then he will plunder all their fortresses. This is what the Lord says. A shepherd who tries to rescue a sheep from a lion's mouth will recover only two legs or a piece of an ear. So it will be for the Israelites in Samaria lying on luxurious beds and for the people of Damascus reclining on couches. Now listen to this and announce it throughout all of Israel, says the Lord, the Lord, of, the Lord God of heaven's armies. On the very day I will punish Israel for its sins, I will destroy the pagan altars at Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground, and I will destroy the beautiful homes of the wealthy, their winter mansions and their summer houses too, all their places filled with ivory, says the Lord. Through a, a series kind of of some rhetorical questions there, Amos is quickly showing us that there are always two events that are linked together. When one event takes place, the other second event is surely going to follow. And so Amos is quickly kind of highlighting that God's revelation to him is a sure sign that judgment was coming for the people of Israel because of their sin. Verse 2 really highlights that Israel had this intimacy with God, this relationship with God. They had this great calling and responsibility being the people of God, and they'd failed in that, and there were going to be consequences. See, the people of Israel no longer knew how to do what was right. In fact, the more they sinned, the harder it was for them to even remember what God wanted from them. And the same is true for you and I. The longer that we wait to deal with sin the greater hold it has on us. 
The longer we go without addressing sin, the stronger we are captivated by it. And finally, we forget what it means to do right. And so I want to ask us this morning, are you on the verge of forgetting what God wants from you or what it means to do right? When we ignore God, we will face consequences. It's a simple truth that we can see from this prophecy to Israel. When we ignore God, we will face consequences. This is what chapter 4 says. Let's read it together. Listen to me. Now, I know you're going to think I'm kidding when I read this, but this is what it says. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and who are always calling to your husbands. Bring us another drink. The sovereign Lord has sworn this by his holiness. The time will come when you will be led away with hooks in your noses. Every last one of you will be dragged away like a fish on a hook. You will be led out through the ruins of the wall. You will be thrown from your fortresses, says the Lord. Go ahead and offer sacrifices to the idols at Bethel. Keep on disobeying at Gilgal. Offer sacrifices each morning and bring your tithes every three days. Present your bread made with yeast as an offering of thanksgiving. Then give your extra voluntary offerings so you can brag about it everywhere. This is the kind of thing you Israelites love to do, says the sovereign Lord. I brought hunger to every city and famine to every town, but still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I kept the rain from falling when your crops needed it the most. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. Rain fell on one field while another field withered away. People staggered from town to town looking for water, but there was never enough. But still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I struck your farms and vineyards with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured all your fig and olive trees. But still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I sent plagues on you like the plagues I sent on Egypt long ago. I killed your young men in war and led all your horses away. The stench of death filled the air. But still you would not return to me, says the Lord. I destroyed some of your cities as I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Those of you who survived were like charred sticks pulled from a fire. But still you would not return to me, says the Lord. Therefore, I will bring upon you all the disasters I have announced. Prepare to meet your God in judgment, you people of Israel. For the Lord is the one who shaped the mountains, stirs up the winds, and reveals his thoughts to mankind. He turns the light of dawn into darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God of heaven's armies is his name. What probably sounded like I was making up my own translation as I, as I read that there, but yes, you in fact heard right that Israel's wealthy women were called fat cows as that verse, as that chapter started there. And, and that wasn't just some joke. It was really the best way for Amos to address that the people of Israel and specifically the, the women who were asking their husbands to live a, a certain way were comfortable and pampered. And so these women were pushing their husbands to oppress the helpless people in order to support their lavish lifestyles and continue to live the way that they would with, with ivory all over their homes and incredibly comfortable. The lesson that I think we can learn from this is this, that we need to be careful of desiring material possessions and comfort so much that you're willing to oppress others and displease God to get them. See, these, these verses prophesy that God was trying to get their attention. God had done things with famines and with rain and with weather, and he was trying to show them that they weren't living for him. They were forsaking their relationship with him, but nothing made them turn from their sin. 
And these verses are pointing to the rest of the story that we know that Israel would ultimately be defeated and and plundered. And when it talks about being taken away with a hook in their nose, literally their entire country and everything was reduced to a pile of rubble. Every, Every cultural thing and every building, everything they knew was taken away because of their disobedience. But here's what's crazy as we read this. Israel didn't really get it. They were just chilling. They thought they were, they were doing great. They didn't know they were doing anything wrong because in their eyes, they were doing these religious things. They were still giving offerings and they were still having these ceremonies and, and they, were, they were doing religious things. And Amos comes on the scene and is like, listen, listen, listen. The way that you're living, the way you're ignoring what God wants you to do, the way that you're not listening to him, it's absurd. And so it's almost sarcastic the way that these verses unfold. Because the the country of Israel, they were trusting in these ceremonies and offerings and sacrifices that made them look good and made them feel really good. And they thought these things would save them. But see, the problem was that Israel had plenty of religion, but no reverence for God. When I say reverence, I mean a deep founded respect that drives your actions. Israel had lost that. And so all they knew was, I'm going to do this so I look good. I'm going to do this so I feel good. I'm going to do this because it benefits me. And oh, look, it's religion. So now I can be spiritual too. God is sarcastically telling them almost through Amos that your your foundation, your hope shouldn't be in these religious practices. Your foundation should be in me. Be careful of valuing religion over reverence for God. I want to read chapter five, just the first four verses as we continue here. It's titled a call to repentance. Listen, you people of Israel, listen to this funeral song. I am singing the virgin Israel has fallen never to rise again. She lies abandoned on the ground with no one to help her up. The sovereign Lord says this, when a city sends a thousand men to battle, only a hundred will return. When a town sends a hundred, only 10 will come back alive. Now this is what the Lord says to the family of Israel. Verse four closes with this, come back to me and live. Amos, I'm sure shocked the people that were reading this and, and hearing this because he opens this chapter with a, with a funeral song. I went to a, uh, a swim meet the other night with my daughter, Mercy. She was invited to go check out a high school swim meet just to see what it looked like for people that are a little further down the road in her sport. And during a timeout, I wandered out into the lobby and I realized that there was a basketball game going on. And so given the choice of watching people swim that I didn't know or going to the basketball game, I, I wandered in the gym. And when I got there, I thought the game was starting because they were warming up. And then I realized they were warming up for the second half. And so I looked up at the scoreboard and the score was 41 to 5. Wasn't a very good game. And there was a, there was a home section there. You know, there's always the, the rowdy fans for the home team. And if you're part of that team, you love the things they chant. But if you're the away team, you don't always like it. They had seen the scoreboard also. They had watched the first half and they knew what was taking place. And so they did a chant that, if I'm being honest, I've been a part of a couple times too. As the second half got underway, they started this chant to the, to the opposing team. They said, start the buses, start the buses. 
They were making it very clear. Hey, whatever you thought was going to take place here is not going to happen today. The game's over. You've lost. You might as well start the buses and let them get warm because you're, you're headed home. I think similarly, Amos is getting the attention of Israel. He's saying, oh, you're religious. Oh, you're comfortable. Oh, you think things are great. Oh, you're not living your covenant with God and living out your relationship with him. And you're not treating the world justly. Well, let me sing you a funeral song. Let me point out that everything that you know is going to come to an end. Your very life, your very culture, your very country, all of your comfort is going to have a funeral. And it's all going to come undone. And at the end of that, where Amos is saying, wake up, wake up, here's some prophecy for you. This doesn't end well. He says this, the words of God, come back to me that you may live. Seek me that you may live. He's saying everything you're missing, everything you need, everything you want can be found in the relationship that you're supposed to have with me. The relationship that I thought was at the core of who you are, the relationship that you've forsaken and turned your back on. Your very life comes from me. And when your eyes are on me, you're living as you should. And then he says this on down in verses 14 and 15. Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live Then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper, just as you have claimed. Hate evil and love what is good. Turn your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. Amos starts by reminding the people that they need to seek God to live. And as they seek God to live... They need to seek good. They need to do what is good and run from Satan. Really, they're being told this in in two parts. Seeking God means seeking good. As we seek God, as we spend time in the presence of God, as we spend time getting to know God in an intimate relationship that he's afforded us, just like he afforded Israel, we will be changed. And the way that we treat the world will change. And the way that we live out justice and the way that we react to and treat injustice will be changed Because we've been in the presence of God and we know the character and nature of God. And so he says, seek me and live and seek good and live. The two go hand in hand and are forever linked. And Amos is passing on the message. He's saying, listen, the things you're doing, they're they're a sham. They're an empty, empty sham. Really, their hypocrisy was being exposed. You're doing these religious things. You're trying to feel good. And all you want is your own success and your own power. You're not representing the justice of God. And then he says this to really get to the heart of it in verses 21 to 24. You can read along if you're holding the Bible, if you're looking it up there. I want to actually read from the message because I, I love the passion that it puts into this. I love the way it says it. And I love the way that it gets at the heart of some of the ways that we could be struggling with these same things. This is verses 21 to 24 in the message. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. 
I mentioned that this passage wasn't technically written to us, but I think it applies to us and we can learn from it. See, God was talking to his people. And I think many of us in the room would say that we are in a relationship with God. We've entrusted our life to Jesus. We are walking with him and we are his called, empowered people who intimately know him. And so as the ones that are called by him and are responsible to that, our job is to have lives that look different. Our lives are supposed to look different. And so as, as people, as followers of Jesus, as a church, as a corporate entity, we are more than a slogan. And we are more than branding. And we are more than crowds. And we are more than hype. Our job is to point people to Jesus. And our job is to live out biblical justice so that that points people to Jesus. We point people to Jesus in the way that we worship. We point people to Jesus in the way that our lives contain reverence. And we point people to Jesus in the way that we confess our sin and the way that we approach God's throne. We're not called to be the biggest, coolest thing in town. We're not called to have really great bands and cool music. And everything we do is not just about a new great building. And yes, I realize the irony of that statement because right now we are building a new great building. But know this, that is not what defines the people of God. What defines the people of God is that we seek God and seek justice because we know his character. We're more than a nonprofit. We're more than people that vote a certain way or watch a certain channel. We are not just the best concert in town. We're God's called people. And we're called to be different. So how, how do we look different? We look different because we seek out injustice and we inject good into the world. There's always going to be injustice around us, and so we have to do everything we can to live justice and act in line with the character and the nature of God and how we treat people the way that he would. When people look at us and how we live, they have to see right, equitable relationships between people, even though we may be in a different social setting or an economical setting, we have to represent the heart of God. And when people look at us and how we live for God, they have to see us taking action to correct injustice. And when people look at us and how we live for God, they have to see generosity and equality and advocacy and responsibility. Here's what I think this passage was saying. Here's our big idea for this morning. Here's what the people of God can learn from this, that true worship of God should always lead to justice, righteousness, and loving our neighbor true worship of God that's anchored in reverence for him and gratefulness for him, true worship that's rooted in relationship with him and driven by his character to love the world so that the world can see our hope and know our hope and know our God, that kind of worship should always lead to justice, righteousness, and loving our neighbor. But that's difficult, right? It's not, it's not easy. And we make excuses. I was trying to think of all the excuses I've made over the course of my life this week, so you don't have to feel guilty, but I made a list of them just so that I could feel bad. I'm just joking with you. But here's eight excuses we give for not living out justice, not helping the poor. Sometimes we say they don't deserve help. They got themselves into poverty and they can get themselves out. 
Sometimes we tell ourselves that God's call to help the poor applies to another time. I mean, this, this book's really old, right? So that doesn't apply to America in 2022. Sometimes we tell ourselves, well, I don't know any people like that that are in a situation where there's injustice happening. I just kind of go to work and talk to my neighbors a little bit if I have to. Sometimes we say, I have my own needs. I mean, we've got bills to pay, right? We've got loans. We've got things that we're trying to make happen. Sometimes we tell ourselves, any money I give will be wasted, stolen, or spent, or maybe, maybe the poor will never see it. Sometimes we think if we get close to situations like that or, or people like that, that we'll become a victim ourselves, so we should just stay away and protect what God's given us. Sometimes we tell ourselves, I don't know where to start. I don't have the time to start. Do you know how many kids I have? Do you know the things I do in a week? Sometimes we tell ourselves, well, my little bit won't really make a difference. Here's what I know. If you know God, if you have a relationship with him, if you're spending time with him, his character is changing you. And when you're spending time in the midst of the character of God, you should want to inject justice into the world. You should want to go into situations where people are being taken advantage of, where people are without, where they're helpless, they're downtrodden, and you should want to change those situations. When Jesus left this earth, he said, I'm I'm giving you a helper. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And I believe that there are people in this room, people in this church, most of the people in this room and church are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will, will show you things that you should be doing. And so I think what we should do is, is pray about these things. What does it look like for you to respond to this truth? What does it look like for you to be good to the injustice of this world that's happening around us? I don't, I don't know what that looks like. That's not my job. My job is to figure out what that looks like for me. Your job is to figure out what that looks like for you. What does that look like personally for you? What does that look like for your budget? What does that look like for your movement group? Our groups are set up in a unique way that we get to serve together for the whole second semester of the school year in a place that you're passionate about, in a place where you think you need to make a difference and and address injustice. And so maybe for you, that's serving at one of the YMCA shelters. Maybe for you, that's addressing a need through a certain ministry. I'm not sure what that looks like, but you can pray about that and, and be a part of that. We have some relationships as a church, places that we've been plugged in in the past, and we would love to connect your heart for God with a place of need. Everything we do doesn't have to have a movement church sticker on it. It doesn't have to be an official ministry. It can just be the people of God taking action for what he's put in their hearts. It can be the people of God responding to the things that he's telling us. And I think this morning and through this passage, God is telling us that true worship should always lead to justice, righteousness, and loving your neighbor. I don't have time to read Amos 6 this morning, but it continues and basically just goes on to say, woe, woe to you who are ignoring God and taking your eyes off God and only worrying about yourselves. It's not, it's not good and good things aren't coming. You need to wake up and change and get right with God or judgment is coming. And so in this series of these four chapters, these four speeches, Amos kind of exposes Israel's injustice and Israel's hypocrisy and Israel's idolatry and the coming judgment because of those things. See, Israel's sin brought them to a place where they were looking at destruction as the the logical path. And our sin brings us to a place where we're face to face with destruction and separation from God. 
See, Israel's kings had led them in this selfish culture and nature, and things were so messed up that Israel eventually, in in the, the story of the Bible, started to cry out for a new king to fix things. And the new king came on the scene, but he didn't look like they thought he would. In the New Testament, they got their new king, and his name was Jesus. And he came in the power of God, and he came to establish his kingdom. But like I said, it looked way different from these other kings. He fixed things in line with his character and nature. And one of my favorite passages is Philippians chapter 2 that talks about how Jesus came to this world and what he fixed, how we should act. It says this in Philippians 2 verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus came to this world as a humble servant, and he went to the cross and and died a criminal's death on a cross, not because he deserved to be there, but because he was paying the price for our sin, for our arrogance, for the ways that we ignore our relationship with God and do what we want to do. But out of his character, even though we spit in the face of God, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to give his life for us. Jesus paid the price for our sin and restored our relationship with God. And so I I think that there are probably two audiences or or two things that we need to address today. This passage is written to religious people from Israel, religious people who thought they were doing good things and right things. And my guess is that there's someone in this room today that's been religious for a long time, that's gone to church, that's given money to United Way, that's done good things, that's been at Movement Church for two years or five years or 10 years, but somehow hasn't known that their life wasn't surrendered to Jesus. Somehow you maybe didn't know that your selfishness and your sin has separated you from God. Jesus came and gave his life to wash that clean and to wash that away. And all that it takes to be right with God is to say, Jesus, I know that I'm not enough, but your sacrifice and your death and burial and resurrection is Come into my life, come into my heart and give me life. I want to follow you. I want to identify with you. I think there's probably some religious people that need to wake up and say, I identify with who Jesus is and and what he did and I'm living my life for him. I'm living my life as a response to his great love. Some of us would say that we've already made that decision and yet we've been living like hypocrites. We haven't been living and choosing good and choosing to address Injustice and God is not pleased when we isolate ourselves from the needs of others. God wants us to care for others the same way that He cares for us. And His kingdom is not a kingdom of selfishness or indifference. And so we need to learn to put the needs of others before our very own needs. See, as followers of, of Jesus, we're now part of Abraham's family and this unique calling that Israel had to bless the world. Like Israel, we've been saved from slavery and we've been set free and we bless the world by sharing the hope of Jesus. And Jesus summed up his mission or our mission as his followers in two parts. 
He said that we're called to love God and love one another or seek God and seek good. The same pattern flows from Amos all the way through the New Testament and scripture. And so as new members of this ancient family, we've inherited this great calling to love God and proclaim his goodness as we enact love and as we live justice, just like Amos Amos was calling for Israel to do. See, because of what Jesus did, we get to live our lives as, as worship and as a response. And worship of God is living God's justice. Worshiping God, knowing God, seeking God, and seeking good go hand in hand. And when they don't, the world looks at us and the world sees hypocrites. And the world, in those instances, is, is right. Because true worship of God should always lead to justice, righteousness, and loving your neighbor. Let's pray. God, thank you that you seek us out. Thank, thank you that you want to know us, that you want to have a relationship with us. And thank you, Lord, that even at our worst, you sent Jesus to redeem our story, to save us, to establish his kingdom so that we can love the world and share hope. God, we want to be people who represent hope, who share hope. We want to be people who are responding to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray if there's someone in the room who's realized that they've been doing things to save them, but they've never known you, they've never identified with you, Lord, I pray that today will be the day that they surrender their life to you. Lord, I pray for those who have surrendered their lives. I pray that we will just let... Let your Holy Spirit take inventory of our hearts, Lord. Are we living out justice? Are we addressing the things that we see in this world that do not represent your love of people and your character? Are we being generous? Are we loving those less fortunate than us, Lord? How are we living out your justice? God, move in our minds and our hearts and our budgets and our opportunities. Move in our movement groups this spring and help us to address the things that you are calling us to address. Lord, we want to be your people. And we want to worship you with lives and hearts focused on you and focused on doing your good around the world. God, thanks for the book of Amos and thanks for this warning. Thanks for this prophecy. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.